Well, good evening, College Church family. Good to see you all. It's good to end the Lord's Day together in this way, singing praises to God, sitting under His Word together. We're continuing our series in the book of Titus, so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, and I'll be preaching from verses 11 through 15. So let me read that out, Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come to you and we ask that you'd give us hearts that are ready to receive all that you would want to teach us in your word tonight. We need your word. Help us to feed upon it and to see you and all that you are for us ultimately in Christ. And so give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are ready to receive from you tonight. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to title this message in this way. Amazing grace that trains a wretch like me. (laughs) Pastor Andy Davis, he once shared a comparison between a forest rock and a river rock. If you're in the forest next to a stream, you can pull up a dirty rock out of the mud And uh, you can drop that into the river stream. And what's going to happen to that forest rock that's full of mud? Well, that mud is going to start to wash away. But if I pick up a a river rock, what's going to be the difference? The river rock is going to be nice and smooth. Those those edges are going to be worn off. But the forest rock, it might be cleaned, is still going to have those rough edges upon it. How is it that a forest rock can become a river rock. Well, it's the same way that it was cleansed. You put it back in the river, and that same river that washed its mud is now the same river and the same waters that are going to smooth out those rough edges so that it becomes a shiny, smooth river rock. Same waters. Same waters. Tonight, we're going to see that it is the same grace, God's grace found in Jesus. By grace, we find salvation and cleansing and washing of our sins. And it is that same grace that trains us. It's that same grace that softens the hard edges of our hearts and in our lives, smoothing them out so that we no longer live our own way. But in an increasing way, we live God's way, in godliness, and in good works. 
You see, these verses here in Titus 2, verses 11 to 14, they're really tethered to the rest of the book. There's, there's a central aspect to these verses that we read. There's a centripetal and centrifugal force. Now, my wife's a science major, so forgive me if I'm getting this confused or even if this is possible. But everything that Paul has been saying is really drawing us right into this text. What he has been teaching about this vision of the Christian life is drawing us right here into these verses. But these same verses that we're drawn into are actually propelling us from them to then go out and to live them out. So it's a gravitational center that is then propelling us back out, shaping us and empowering us and influencing us. You see, what has Paul been doing in the book of Titus? He's been laying out a vision for Titus that he is to teach and that he is to cast for the churches there and the Christians at Crete. Verse 1 of chapter 2, it says this, you're to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Chapter 2, verse 15, he bookends this section and says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. So there's a vision here for how the church is to live in a culture that is opposed to the ways of God. And what Paul does is he exhorts Titus to orient this foundation for these churches in such a way that these Christians lived changed lives, changed lives that are distinct from the world that is around them. You see, the culture of Crete was going its own way. The Christians were to live God's way. Living God's way meant increasing in godliness and overflowing in good works. Follow with me just through Titus. Go back to verse one of chapter one. Paul starts this whole book and says he wants the Christians to grow in a knowledge of the truth, which accords with what? With godliness. In chapter one, verse 16, by way of contrast, Paul rebukes teachers who profess to know God, but deny him by their works. They're unfit for any good work. Chapter two, verse seven, Paul calls Titus that he's to be an example and a model of good works. Chapter 2, verse 15, the church is to be zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 8, the church is to be devoted to good works. Chapter 3, verse 14, again, the church devoted to good works. So here we have a quick glance in the book of Titus that is showing us the primary aim of the apostle Paul, a culture going its own way, but a church called to go God's way, increasing in godliness and overflowing in good works. They're to be distinct and different from the world by how they live. But there's an interesting thing here in the book of Titus, this way of life has the intent to impact the world for the gospel. Yes, distinct, but in its intent, in, in inherent purpose is to actually have impact upon that world for the good of the culture that is turned away from, from God. You see, living God's way has a, a purpose of defending the gospel from anyone who would oppose it, but also commending the gospel from anyone who would, who would be open to it 
That as they're living this way, it would have that effect. Chapter 2, verse 5, it says, A way of life so that the word may not be reviled, defending God's word. Chapter 2, verse 8, A way of life so that an opponent may have nothing evil to say about God's church. In chapter 2, verse 10, coming right on the heels of what we're studying here today, a way of life that adorns the doctrine of God. So here we have it. When God's people submit their lives to God's way, it is intended to have an explosive evangelistic, evangelistic impact, defending the gospel and commending the gospel to the culture around it. But let me pause here for a moment. I wonder if we've hit home yet. A culture living its own way. Does that sound familiar? Many who are opposed to the gospel. Does that sound familiar? Some people who are open to the gospel. Does that sound familiar? Christians who are tempted to live with a gap between what they say about God and how they live for God. Does that sound familiar? You see, this this vision of the Christian life, to live a life that is increasing in godliness, that is overflowing in good works for the good of the culture and the world around them. But how are we going to do this? How are we going to live this way? What is Paul's answer? Get trained by grace. Get trained by grace. Paul is teaching us here in this passage, Titus 2, 11 to 14. God's grace trains us to live God's ways to impact God's world. God's grace trains us to live in God's ways to impact God's world. Well, there's two main points here in our text that we're going to go through. Starting in verse 11, Paul teaches us this. He teaches us something about our entrance into the Christian life. Our entrance into the Christian life is by grace. We are saved by grace. But he then goes on and talks about our education for Christian living. (laughs) Our education for Christian living is that we are trained by grace. Yes, saved by grace, but also trained by grace grace. So first, our entrance to the Christian life. Paul starts by telling us that the grace of God once appeared. It appeared, verse 11 tells us, bringing salvation. So what what is Paul referring to here? He's referring to the rescue and the deliverance of God's people from their sin. It's a rescue that's received by grace. And this grace appeared when Jesus arrived. When Jesus stepped onto the scene, the grace of God came, bringing salvation. Verse 14 is going to flesh out for us what this grace of God, when Jesus appeared, looks like when Jesus gave himself for sinners. And we'll get to that in a moment. But here we have this this vision for the church. Remember, a people living God's ways in the world, it has a starting point. The Christian life has a starting point. There's an entrance. And we enter this way of life by grace. It's not by any merit of our own. We can understand God's grace in this way, that it's God's unmerited favor for undeserving 
sinners. This favor and this blessing that God gives to undeserving sinners. And when Jesus appeared and when Jesus arrived and he accomplished his work upon the cross, it was so that sinners might receive grace. But there's an emphasis here in verse 11. An emphasis that Paul is bringing to light is that anyone can enter this Christian life. Grace appeared bringing salvation for all people. This is not salvation without exception, meaning universalism. It's salvation without distinction. Coming out of verses 2 through 10 in chapter 2, Paul is talking about and talking to all kinds of people. He's talking to men and he's talking to women. He's talking to the younger and he's talking to the older. He's talking to the slave and he's talking to those who are free. And what Paul is saying is that regardless of your social status, your cultural status, your age or your ethnicity, your past history, your current family, God's grace is available to anyone who would receive it, who would receive God's grace in faith. So we enter this Christian life because remember, Paul's given us this vision of the Christian life and how the Christians are to live in a culture going away from God. But we enter into this Christian life, not by what we can offer, but because of God's grace in Jesus. Amazing grace. How sweet that sound that can save a wretch like me. Friend, I wonder if you're considering starting up with Jesus. There's an invitation tonight. There's an invitation to receive God's salvation. Not by your own merit, not by anything that you contribute, but because of the grace of God that is available to you, to any of us, if we would trust in Jesus. There's an invitation to all. It's available to all. And maybe you have started on the Christian life. You've entered by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let me remind you, and really the Apostle Paul is reminding us, remember how you entered. (laughs) You entered only, only by God's grace. Well, our entrance into the Christian life is by the grace of God when it appeared to bring salvation for us. But, but secondly, he's moving into the heart of, of really this passage is that it is that same grace that is our education for Christian living. Look at verse 12. He uses this phrase, training us. The grace of God appeared training us. This means to instruct us, to teach us, to educate us, even to discipline us. And as many have commented, we're being brought into the, the school of grace, our, educa- our education in Christian living. Well, according to verses 12 through 13, this, this training, it has a goal. This training has a goal. Grace trains us to live godly lives for gospel impact. We've mentioned that already. And what we're trained to do is we're trained to renounce the ways of sin and we're to live a, a Godward life a life of godliness, and to wait for Jesus' return, for Jesus to come. You see, what this means is that grace is training us to look ahead and to move forward. 
You know, each family has their own little sayings. And the more you get to know another family, the more you get to pick up on some of these sayings that are there. And uh, as I've gotten to know my wife's family, I've, I've heard my, my father-in-law say multiple times, <laughs> he's here with us, <laughs> that he has a small rear view mirror. That there's a reason why the rear view mirror is so small, but the windshield is so big. Too often we spend too much time looking in the rear view mirror at our sin and at our old sinful ways. But God's grace is training us to do this, to look through the big windshield and to drive forward and to look ahead at the horizon of what is ahead. Small rear view mirror, big windshield. That's what God's grace is teaching us. It's teaching us that Jesus has dealt with our past sin and that we can renounce it and turn away from it to deny it and move forward. And we can look forward to the life that has been laid out for us and is right in front of us. The windshield is big and the view is beautiful and the sun is on the horizon And its rays are beaming and we can look forward to it and say, I'm headed that way. That's what God's grace is teaching us and training us to do. To stop looking through the rearview mirror at your sins of the past. And to start looking forward to this God word life that we're called into that has an eternal hope that awaits us. It's a beautiful view. Big windshield. God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. These these passions of the past yet still tempt us here in the present. Well, apart from Jesus, we, we lived in ungodliness, a way of life lived for ourselves, lived in pursuit of our own worldly passions, What grace does, grace saves us, but grace also trains us and instructs us to leave that way of life behind, to leave it in the rear view mirror. What also trains us to live. Look at what Paul is teaching us. Grace trains us to live God's ways in all of life. It's not just about saying no, but it is looking forward and moving ahead to all that God has called us into. It's a life of self-control in our own hearts and in our own minds. It's an upright life, just and righteous in our interactions with others. It's a godly life full of reverence and love for God above all else. This self-control in my own heart, living uprightly in relationship with others, living a godly life that is a Godward life towards him in love and in respect of all that he is for us. Grace also trains us to wait. You see, Jesus appeared once to save us by grace, and he will appear again in glory to bring us to himself. This is our blessed hope. The Christian life involves waiting. You know, this waiting is like the countdown to Christmas, is it not? When December hits and our home, the calendar comes out and the countdown begins. And the kids rush 
to that calendar each day and they move it one notch closer to December 25th. Each day is simply one day closer to that day. (laughs) So too, each day now is a countdown to glory. The glory of Jesus appearing finally and fully to make all things new. So we wait in this life, but each day is just one day closer. See, Jesus first appeared to reveal God's grace and Jesus will appear again in glory, in victory, and in power. I went to uh, two funerals this week. They were days of grieving, but not without hope because they were beloved saints who are now gazing upon the glory of Jesus in heaven. And these beloved saints who will one day be resurrected when Jesus appears in glory and restores all things. What would these two beloved saints who passed away, what would they tell us? It's worth the wait. (laughs) Keep waiting. The glory in the face of Jesus is not worth comparing to whatever we may face in this life. Grace trains us to wait with patience and with excitement and hope for the sure appearing of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Our education for Christian living, it has this goal of training us, a people, to renounce sin and to live in godliness and to wait for Jesus God's grace, it it trains us to move forward, to move forward, to live in God's ways. But we also need to know, according to verse 14, that, that God's grace has a foundation. It has a foundation, which is the powerful and purposeful work of Jesus on our behalf. Why is it that grace trains us to move forward? Well, it's because Jesus's work for us has inherent power to change us. We often hear in church circles that Jesus tells us to come as you are and how true and how beautiful and how wonderful that is, that he receives any sinner who turns in humble faith. We come as we are, but not to stay as we are. You see, according to Paul, Jesus gave himself for us. This is what it means for the grace of God to appear. He came and he lived and he gave his life in the place of sinners, undeserving sinners. He was our substitute in our place for our sin. But Jesus gave himself for us to do more than purchase forgiveness. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness meaning to to break the power of sin and to break its control over our lives, according to verse 14. You see, before we receive God's grace in Jesus, the Bible is teaching us that we were under the influence of lawlessness. We were influenced to live a life away from God and apart from God and against God. But the power of Jesus breaks that control and breaks that influence. Inherent in the work of Jesus is the intent to bring us out of sin and to bring us up and out of its influence into a new way, 
redeemed out of, purchased out of, no longer enslaved. Good news. Good news. We can come to Jesus as we are, but he has power not to leave us as we are. So for those tonight who are enslaved to sin, I want to tell you there is power in Jesus to set you free. And for all who have been saved by grace, we remember what Jesus has brought us out of, our sin and our lawlessness. Paul also says that Jesus gave himself to purify, to purify or to to cleanse a people for himself. You see, Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, he has power to cleanse the foulest of sinners. He has power for the guilty. He has power for the dirty. He has power for those who are burdened by sin. Some of you sit here tonight with a keen awareness of your own sin. When I was in college, I was, I was living in a lot of selfishness and a lot of sin. And I found myself overwhelmed by my guilt so much so that I was at the point of physically throwing up. I felt dirty and burdened, but I sat with my father who pointed me afresh to the purifying and cleansing power of Jesus to cleanse a wretch like me. And friend, that might be you tonight. Jesus has purifying power to cleanse you and to wash your soul and to remove your guilt. And it's this purifying power that trains us to no longer go back to that way, to stop looking in the rearview mirror and to give ourselves afresh to God's way. But Jesus gave himself to purify us for a purpose. You see, you don't clean a boat so it can simply sit in the harbor looking pretty. A boat is clean so that it can go and get out onto the water. It has a purpose. Grace trains us to move forward because Jesus had that purpose for us from the very start. Jesus wants to make a people for himself who are zealous for good works, devoted to a life of good works. I wonder what we're zealous for tonight. (laughs) Oh, we're often zealous for our sports teams. (laughs) We're often zealous for our political parties. Oh, we're, we're often so zealous to work for our own advancement. But as God's people, we're to be zealous for good works. You know, in an age of outrage, as some would say, with misguided zeal that so often brings harm, it would be the wrong conclusion to say that Christians must never be zealous and must never be loud. When it comes to good works, (laughs) Christians ought to be the ones making the loudest noise. God's people ought to be the ones setting the pace, leading the charge, not lurking in the background or sitting in the hammock just waiting for Jesus to come back. Don't sit in the harbor looking pretty. (laughs) Get out into the water and live a life of good works. Be a rescue boat on the water. (laughs) Christians are to get in the action 
zealously seeking to help cases of urgent need. Or as Paul says elsewhere, do good to all, especially of those in the household of faith. Grace trains us because Jesus cleansed us with the purpose of living a life of good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace, but we're saved for good works. Grace trains us to move forward, to live in God's ways. Grace has a foundation. It's the work of Jesus on our behalf. We need to get trained by grace. God's grace, when we are trained by it, is to have an impact on the world around us. That's what the Apostle Paul has been doing, is expanding our understanding of the power and the purpose of God's grace in the lives of God's people. So real briefly, what what are some responses for us here at College Church? First, I would say is to believe. God's grace is available. It's available to anyone who would believe in Jesus. Believe that he gave himself for you. Believe that he has power to redeem you from the power of sin. Believe that he has power to cleanse you from sin. Believe in his purposes to transform you. But secondly, I would say this, study. If grace is our education for Christian living, we better get to studying it. God's grace is our instructor. It's training us to live godly lives. So study God's grace. Meditate upon it. Think about it. Reflect on these very verses and all the depth that is there of how God gave himself for you in his son, Jesus Christ. Think about the power and the purposes of Christ. Devote yourself this week, maybe even to memorizing these verses so that you can study them in a fresh new way. Jesus gave himself for you. Reflect on that cleansing power. Study about heaven. Think about the glory of Jesus that is coming. Study this. Think about it. Thirdly, live. You see, at its its core, this passage is teaching us that grace trains us to live. So we need to examine the areas of our life that we need to renounce. Repent and live no longer in the ways that the Lord is bringing conviction upon your soul. We're no longer under that power. We also need to discern where we need to live lives of self-control. What does that look like in our own life? We need to discern how we need to interact justly or righteously with those that we spend time with. We need to devote ourselves this week to loving God and respecting him, to live a godly life. You see, remember, one of the purposes of your salvation by grace in Christ is to purify us so that we would be zealous for good works. Where are we called to live into that this week? Well, earlier tonight, we sang the song Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. It's often described that that he described himself as a wretched man. At one point, he was a, a sailor living a life of debauchery, ending up as an outcast on an island due to his behavior. No fear of God in his eyes. He was involved in the slave trade in Africa. And yet later in life, he was a faithful husband, 
a pastor, an aggressive opponent to the slave trade, and an encouraging friend who spoke God's truth in love. He was a man who had received God's amazing grace that was offered even to a sinner like him. And he was a man who was trained by God's grace. Here's what he says. I am not what I ought to be. Ah, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon shall I put off mortality and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be. I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan, but I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God, I am what I am. (laughs) Grace from the start, grace to the finish, grace that saves and grace that trains. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that can save a wretch like me and like you. Amazing grace that trains me no longer to live in my ways, but to live in God's ways, increasing in godliness, overflowing in good works. How sweet the sound. Jesus gave himself for us. How sweet the sound. (laughs) Jesus gave himself to redeem us. How sweet the sound. (laughs) Jesus gave himself to purify us from our sin. How sweet that sound. Jesus gave himself for us to purify us for a purpose, to live in good works for the glory of God. How sweet the sound. God's grace is amazing. (laughs) It is amazing and it is sweet for it saves and it trains us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. We need your grace. But you've given it to us in Christ. And it saves wretches like us. And it trains us that we might live in your ways. And that that might have impact in your world. So Lord, would you continue to train us by your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.